Okay, please find a comfortable posture. Keep your back straight as much as you can and gently close your eyes. Take a few breaths and relax your body. Get comfortable with your posture. It is a rainy day, but you all are here. As a group, as a noble friends, as a wonderful community, we are here and sitting in front of the Buddha. And we are going to develop, cultivate our mind. Usually we are busy, mentally and physically, running around. But in this moment, you are completely different. You are sitting on the cushion or chair. You are having a peaceful and relaxed time with yourself. Therefore, be grateful for this moment, also to your practice. Before we start our practice, please think about these thoughts for a moment. Now with these motivational thoughts, let's start our practice. Again, make sure to relax and get comfortable with your posture. Whenever you need, you can move your body, change your posture. It is very important to find a relaxed and comfortable posture. <coughs> And slowly and gently bring your attention to your breath. And focus on your tip of your nose. And 
just allows your body to breathe naturally. Mindfully paying attention on your inner and outer breath. Without thinking or wondering about future or past. Whenever you are having thoughts, just know you are having thoughts and come back to your breath.
breathe in mindfully breathe out mindfully Our breath is always changing, constantly it is changing. If you notice that, at the same time, you can also think about impermanence. Now with having peaceful and relaxed body and mind, let's continue our practice on practicing self-love. Wish to yourself May I be filled with loving kindness May I be well in mind and body. May I learn to care for myself with joy and ease.
Now imagine a person that you really want to send a loving kindness. Imagine that a special person's face May my special friend or loved one or family member be well. Be happy. Be peaceful. May all the living beings be well. May they be happy. May they be peaceful.
imagine in this short period of time you're practicing mindfulness breathing meditation also you cultivate you develop loving thoughts be grateful for this moment your practice your commitment make a determination to apply this practice to daily life whenever you need this practice will allows you to become a mindful person calm person kind person this practice will help you to achieve many obstacles in your life Now please bring your hands together in front of your heart. May peace be with you. May all the living beings be well, be happy, be peaceful. Thank you so much. Slowly open your eyes. <coughs> okay, let's start our chanting practice. page number 4 namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagav ಸಂಬುಸ ನಮೋ ತಗವತೋಹತೋಮಸಂಬುಸರಣಾಂಗಿ ಗಚ್ಚಿ ಸಂಘಂಗಚ್ಚಿ ದ್ವಿತೀಯೇ ಬುದ್ಧಿಯೇಧಮ್ಮಸರಣಾಂಗಚ್ಚಿ ದ್ವಿತೀಯೇ ಸಂಘಂಗಚ್ಚಿಧಮ್ಮಸರಣಾಂಗ 
तत्यंपे संघं सरनं गच्छा अनिच्छावत संकारा उपाद वायदमेनो उपाजित्वा निरुजान्ति ते संगुप समोसुको साबे सत्ता अवेराहन्तु साबे सत्ता अभ्यापज्जाहन्तु साबे सत्ता अनेगाहन्तु साबे सत्ता सुकीयतानं परिहारन् मनो पुब्बंग मादम्मा मनो सेता मनो माया मन साचे पदुचे न भासते वाकारो तातो नंदुक Kamanveti Chakangvahato Padang Manopubhangamadhamma Manosetha Manomaya Manasache Pasanena Bhasati Vakaroti Tato Nansukha Manveti Chayav Anapayini Mind is the foreign arm states. Mind is chief. Mind is the foreign arm states. Mind is chief. Mind may not be. If it's a clear and confident mind, one should either speak with it. Happiness follows cause. As much shadow we never lose. We believe. We believe in generosity towards others. We believe the skillful noble path is marked by generosity. We believe generosity has many levels. Think generously. Speak generously. Act generously. We believe generosity is the heart of our spiritual practice and this practice allows us to become open, accepting. We believe extending generosity to ourselves and others is a direct or healing division. Bring in joy.
my wish may i become at all times both now and forever a protector for those without protection a guide for those who lost their a ship for those with an ocean to cross sanctuary for those in danger a lamp for those without light a place of refuge for those black shelter and a servant to all in need by means of this meritorious deed may i never join with the unwise only the wise unto the time attained in one okay good morning everyone how are you today it's very nice to see you all thanks so much for being here and today we have a special talk and uh, please erin and today erin and uh, maybe you have met her um so i would like to, ex- uh, to tell something about erin how i see her <laughs> so i think she start to come to temple way before we start this temple when it is was a church and uh, with her daughter tessa so uh, erin she is a wonderful member wonderful friend and uh, she is helping so much and also she is one of the board member at the temple mm-hmm. and um, so last uh, i met her almost 5 years ago after i came here and she was dedicating her time to the temple so much and so these days we are having a meeting every wednesdays for our next fundraiser on july 30th and yeah. she is yeah. whatever she is going through she is come and help supporting mm-hmm. and she's a wonderful uh, person and uh, so during this time usually we ask people who who practice with us many many years to share with us their experience about practice and how they apply these teachings to their life and uh, so today erin she is the first one doing uh, lay dhamma talks in this summer mm-hmm. and we we asked her and she was so happy to do that and thanks so much and now it is your time well thank you <laughs> i have to live up to that introduction my goodness <laughs> Um I never imagined I'd be standing up here so many years I have sat where you all are um and listening to um the monastics teach me. Um so it's a great honor to be here and I humbly stand before you. Um so as you listen to my words um right now just think about your um thoughts and reactions, beliefs about loss and grief. um as i talk as i give information uh, about my story so there's many different types of losses that i've experienced in my life it seems like um as i get older um the losses seem to come more no why um but there's all kinds of losses not just death um i've had the loss of dreams the loss of relationships through a divorce the loss within relationships through betrayals or mistrust i've had lost control of my body through breast cancer i've lost my mother through death and i've lost my father through death um i'm going to focus today mostly on the loss of my father and his journey he passed away april 29 so each of these losses that i went through certainly um i looked at them as teaching me something about myself 
and that there had to be some kind of lesson here that I, that I was going to learn and, and, and how to live my life. And there were so many Dhamma talks I listened to, so many meditations, um, so many even prayers that I recited to myself. Yet, I remained anxious, I remained afraid, I remained worried. I was always worrying about other people. I was very fearful of the next loss. With my father's recent death, the universe released me from the suffering through suffering. My talk today is going to be about how Buddha's practice moved me through dying into living. I will talk about my father's journey with dementia to death, taught me about how to live my life. So um, almost three months later, as I reflected on my journey with my father, I realized there was a particular kind of, there were these stages that I went through personally. It does not necessarily apply to either, any of you, um, but it was the stages I went through. Um, so the first stage I, I went through, and so my father, just briefly, he was in, he lived in an apartment um, after my mother died. He lived in an apartment, and then he went into assisted living. And then he transitioned to the dementia care unit, and then from there it was determined that he was actually dying. Um, and so eventually he was moved to another facility and received hospice care. Um, and so... Um, what I'm going to talk about now is focusing probably the last year of um, his life and my time with him, and especially the last three months. So the first stage I went through um, was understanding, um, learning about certain words, certain terms. Um, being a clinician myself, that's very important to me, understand what is going on. Um, this was my father, so it was kind of shook me a little bit about, okay, I didn't really get trained in this, and also understanding what dementia is. My mother died of cancer, which seemed to be very concrete. Dementia is a very different experience, because you don't know all the time. So these are some of the words I learned. I learned certainly about grief, the stages of grief. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard you know, the stages, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's uh, stages of grief. Those are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And now they've added a sixth stage, which is finding meaning, which I think is very relevant for me. Um, after a loss, and again, it doesn't have to be a death, I know when I got divorced, I had to find meaning for myself um, because I had lost that person or that idea of a person. She was no more. Same thing happened for me with the death of my parents, where I lost that identity of me, and I had to learn to find meaning in myself. So those are the stages of grief. But then there's also what's called anticipatory grief. This term actually came up during the pandemic, when we were first learning about COVID, first learning about um, and, and experiencing quarantine. And anticipatory grief is actually anticipating the loss before it happens. So again, it doesn't have to be death. It could be any kind of loss that you are um, waiting for. And you may not know the end date. That's what makes anticipatory grief com um, especially compelling, and it can be quite intense. So what I learned is that when you are with a family member who is going through the journey of dementia, anticipatory grief is pretty much what you are feeling the whole way, the whole time you're with them. 
Anticipatory grief symptoms are depression, so this kind of sense of, a chronic kind of sense of emptiness, sadness, anxiety, irritability, and anger, an increased concern for the ill person, thinking about the person's death or what it will be like, mourning over changes in the person's appearance or their personality, sadness and crying, fear, loneliness, and a need to talk about what's going on. Guilt, maybe a sense of survivor guilt, or guilt that there's unfinished business. And then finally, physical issues. I know I had a lot of trouble sleeping. That was an issue for me. So anticipatory grief was a very helpful term um, to explain what I was going through. And of course, there's the term, the word dementia. Dementia is an umbrella term where um, Alzheimer fall, Alzheimer's disease falls underneath that. And so dementia is this whole um, range of cognitive um, illnesses. And then finally, there's the D word, dying, death. The last year of my father's life, and especially when he went into hospice, I found something very interesting about us um, Americans. We don't like that word. People would ask me, so how's your father doing, Aaron? And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, he's dying. <laughs> he's dying. Um, no, he's not great, you know, no, he's not fine. <laughs> he's dying, and he has dementia. So using that word actually freed me. So trying to make connections to Buddhist practice, it began to free me of any anxiety or fear I had about the dying by simply saying the words, saying the word. And in, in doing that, I noticed that other people, it kind of, it, it would kind of make people uncomfortable, but it also made them stop and pause. Yeah, he is, you know? So it was a way to connect as human beings. So understanding was a very important stage for me to enter so that um, I, as I look at it now, it prepared me from moving into um, a deeper, the deeper stages. So the next stage I call witnessing. And witnessing is a term I actually use as a clinician. And the way I define it is when you are listening to another person without judgment. So you're listening, you're observing them without any judgment. Now you may think, what the hell are they talking about? You know, what are they saying? I don't agree with them. But you're not, you're going to put that thought aside and learn how to listen to really what they are saying. So the witnessing with my father began um, probably um, in the last six months of his life, where I was observing the, um, the journey he was going into the dementia, seeing things that weren't there, talking about wild stories, and I would just have to go with it. He, at one point, he, I walk in and he tells me that, Aaron, I'm now the mayor of Costa Rica. Did you know that? Um, I was thrilled. I thought, that's awesome. <laughs> so the witnessing um, is where the universe pushed me into my, onto my cushion. You know, Bhante Sujatha always says that it's not just the cushion here, it is outside. And I intellectually, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I've been listening to Bhante for how many years? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sitting with my father, and the universe pushed me right on my cushion, where I had to practice. 
I had to shut up and I had to look at him and be with him. And as hard as it was and confusing as it was, I still had to be with him and watch him. So the humor, affirming his reality, going with his imagination. My father was an incredibly creative man, lots of imagination, but also reassurance because there was times, um, again, maybe about six months, four months, where he started, he was really, he would describe his experience of losing his mind. Aaron, I don't know what's going on. I can't think straight. Those kinds of things. And so just affirming and, and empathizing that, that I can't imagine what that's like. So the witnessing was a really uh, important stage for me to enter. And again, I don't have any right or wrong answer. It just happened. It just happened. I had no choice. I mean, I guess I could have walked out, but I, I didn't. So I had to be present with him. The next stage is what I call silence. And this is where more the three months before Dad died, I found silence was really critical. Silence was bringing me more into myself. St. John of the Cross, a Christian mystic, called it the, the dark night of the soul. And it's very, it was very much like that. I believe that that's what I entered. Um, this place of now just watching Dad, um, being with him, sometimes praying. Um, Dad is a, was a devout Catholic. Um, I grew up Catholic. And so I would say the rosary. He liked that. He would smile, you know. Um, again, being present with him. But it was that silence that brought me more into myself. Again, didn't ask for that. It just kind of happened. Um, and as I did that, I had to really face the reality of the, the, the man that lay before me was, I had to let go, you know, the impermanence, right? I had to let go of that vision or that idea of the father that I had known. You know, and so that was me as well. I think letting go of the idea of me, I had to let go of too. All of my life, I've been a caretaker for my parents. My mom had polio. I, I had to help her and take care of her. And then my father, I took care of him. So as Dad was, the idea of my father was going. I also part of me was going with him, and it wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing, as I've come to realize. The next phase, again, closer to his dying, was more about just the physical. So his body being really present, really looking, really seeing him for who he was. Yes, he was skin and bones. Yes. Um, there was a lot, and even my daughter, we, he enjoyed having lotion in his arms. So just that sense, that nonverbal presence with him. Again, being so focused and present. Um, sometimes dad would have very spontaneous movements, he, like he was painting, you know. Um, apparently the nurses said that he would just burst out in song in the middle of the night, so, you know. So he was just being aware of just this, again, bringing it down, I guess, from my head and intellectual really into my body as I witnessed his body change. So again, you know, as far as practice, being so present that you're kind of, you're just with each other, even physically. And towards the end, I would say breath, you know, as we do our meditation here about breathing, when, you are a, when you're with someone who is dying, and for my father, especially the last week, his breath almost became an obsession to me. 
because it was a clue as to when he was, he was leaving, you know? And so um, the Sunday before he's, he died, I, I visit him and I have my, he loved Dionne Warwick and, you know, Bird Backrack, and so I had all the music ready to play from, and his breathing had changed. And I knew, okay, all right. So again, again, had to get back on my cushion and think, okay, here we go. Here we go. Your breathing is changing. And even just looking, um, I remember going home and just being aware of so much gratitude that I breathe. I can breathe the air in and I can breathe it out. And then finally, release. So release is really hard. And, you know, I, I, like I said, not just death, but I know I've had to practice release in many of my losses in my life. Probably this was the big release. And the big release was that I said to my father, I release you. So I said it in terms of um, making amends with him. I'm sorry if I ever hurt you. You know, I love you. Thank you for all that you've taught me. Go see mom. Go have a party. Whatever you all do in the universe, just I release you. And then, you know, doing that, um, I've done that, again, in other aspects of my life, um, whether I've had to release anger that I've had towards somebody, whether I've had to release the, the um, idea of this person. I really wanted them to be, but I had to release that. So the release with dad was a great gift that we shared, I feel. So those were the stages that I went through with my father. Here's some Buddhist perspectives, and these are some quotes. Um, I did find a quote. The Buddha said, the secret of health for both mind and body is not to mourn for the past, nor to worry about the future, but to live the present moment wisely and earnestly. So I just hope that I humbly have been able to do that. So just some, another term I probably should have said earlier. In Buddhism, there is, suffering is called dukkha. And it often arises due to our attachment to impermanent pleasures. Thus, if you're grieving after someone's death, your grief may be the result of you being attached to their presence in your life instead of accepting the loss. So I think that's so key with loss, is that we get attached to the idea of a person you know, or the idea of a, an ideal relationship. I know I was at fault at that. Or the, you know, attached to, I want you to be like this, right, being codependent. So that's such a key thing in terms of facing that this is not working or this is not going to last, that discomfort, that suffering, and then letting it go. I found a website called The Lion's Roar. It's a Buddhist wisdom for our time website. And in this article called, How Can the Dharma Help Us to Work Through Our Grief? Um, here's a few quotes. Grief is not a thing or even a feeling. It is a process, a continuum of emotions that unfolds at its own pace. We don't get to know in advance how much it will take, and no one can tell us. Just like everything else in our Buddhist practice, we have no choice but to be present with what is in each moment. Sometimes grief feels like any other day. And we can even laugh. When we are invited back, thus back into relationship with all beings, when we are disconnected from our own humanity, we miss and deny the humanity of others. And finally, another quote in closing, the Dharma to be present to grief. The same way we are present to our breath as we sit, 
noticing our thoughts and feelings arising, letting them go and returning. When we feel ripping sorrow, we stay with it, feeling it deeply, breathing, letting it go. And just as we stay present to the sorrow, we can also stay present to the lack of sorrow. This happens too. Grief can include anger, joy, guilt, depression, tears, loneliness, comfort, or nothing at all. The Dharma teaches us that everything that arises falls away. So that's my story, kind of briefly, about my journey with my father and loss. Um, I'm still learning right now, so believe me, I am no authority as I stand here before you, and my journey's not over with. Do any of you have any comments or questions about, um, or your story, possibly, briefly, in terms of loss or grief? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my, what a great, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a physical feeling, I feel. It's much more physical. It used to be more intellectual. Um, I mean, I think the both are related, but now um, I know when I'm planted and I have to start focusing, I guess. It's the only way I can describe it, um, is that I have to, I have to look, I have to listen, those kinds of things. I have to be present. Um, because I, in my life, I struggled so much with anxiety and worry um, that it's now become, it's more in me to stop and focus, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know. Full disclosure, you know, I've been how many times I've been on the been here, right? Meditating. I hate to tell you, Bonte, I'm not, but I my mind will wander. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of the grocery list, um, and I also see. Actually, I see things. I see things. Um, I think that's an important experience in a way, kind of this consciousness that, you know, so I, I, so there was a lot of activity. So I think that it's very easy for us to walk out of here and shut the door. And then we go into our life, you know, how do we internalize the experience we just had here where we have to really focus? Oh, I'm having, you know, these ruminating thoughts. I got to stop them. So I, practicing it outside is very challenging. I mean, it is for me. I don't know if it is for anyone else, but it really is, you know, especially when you're under, stress or you're dealing with these life issues right so it was i it was kind of like you know just a metaphor for me of when i was in that position where i really i had to focus i had to focus i mean again i had a choice but i had to you know um 
Yeah, it goes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I'm glad it made sense. Um, yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I was um, experiencing. Is um, in order to move through this, you know, the, the Buddhist continuum, right, that they talk about, is that um, you really, I had to really kind of let go of those illusory ideas. Even the idea in the early stages, oh, he's going to get better. I mean, your mind really plays tricks on you, I would say. So it really was shedding, absolutely, all those illusory ideas. Oh, I'm going to come in one Sunday morning and Dad's going to be just chattering and he'll know who I am and, oh, you know, there you go. I mean, always. So, again, back to the cushion metaphor, that's where I would have to land to kind of clear my head. And really, and also, you know, that's a kind of suffering, too, to admit that you have these illusory ideas when in front of you is not so much, you know? That was a loss, right? That was like a facing of, Aaron, you are making up these stories about dad, and you know, you know the reality. So, um, yes, absolutely. Absolutely is part of it. Anyone else? Or, yeah, Aaron, yeah, thank you so much for your talk this morning. You're welcome. Um, yeah, like, I think, you know, some people believe in this, like, idea of, of closure or, you know, not, or, or, you know, not, not feeling the presence of that Um, well, so I'm just going to be transparent and, you know, I, I don't know how people feel about these things. So, um, I, before dad died, I had a dream, a very powerful dream of dad, um, that foretold his dementia, actually. Um, two weeks ago, I had a visitation dream with my dad. And dad was sitting in the sunroom at sunrise, assisted living, smiling at me and saying, Aaron, it's great here. I love it. I love you, Aaron. Don't worry. And um, again, I'm not, you know, everyone, we have all of our own sense of things, but um, that was a huge gift to me. I didn't, and I felt very free and not worried. So I feel, I'm wearing, I'm wearing his rings today. Um, Dad, I believe Dad is with me all the time, always. Always, always. It's like you can be, you can be guided and soothed, kind of versus haunted. Or, oh yeah, no, you know, that's, no. That's really 
Yeah, no, I mean, we can, again, you know, that's what I've learned in Buddhism. I mean, our mind can play these tricks on us. We can choose to be angry and haunted and resentful, and that's what we can carry on, right? Or we can choose to, again, like I guess what I did with my dad and definitely with my mother is I had to make amends to bring some peace to that afterlife. You know, um, we got to do our internal work always. So, yeah. Um, I think I need to, yeah, Tess. Yeah. You're welcome, honey. I love you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, yeah. Oh, thanks. I used to be present while the story is taking place. And I think when you when you said this, when you just said something about um, about the visitation dream, it's like that gave me chills when you said that. Um, I, I lost both my parents. I think the the wonderful thing about those visitation dreams is when you see them in the dreams, they're always healthy and absolutely they look great. Absolutely. Yes. Like a wonderful gift that happened a few days ago. Oh. Yeah, my belief is, again, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not talking as um, a white woman Christian here. I'm talking about just that higher level of awareness and, and not to push those experiences away. You know what I mean? They come into our mind, into our consciousness for a reason, so we don't push them away. Well, I do need to probably wrap up. Um, we also have... Um, some folks from uh, the board who are going to talk a little bit and do the announcements. So thanks again so much for your time. So, thanks so much, Erin, for your wonderful talk. I was thinking about my dad while you were doing talk. I want to tell you, still I'm having many dreams about my father. Thanks so much. <laughs> Tyler. All right, good morning, everybody. Aaron, I, I just uh, just was watching the room, uh, and you just really gave a real gift to all of us with your vulnerability and generosity, so thank you for that. And I just, I can't, I can't think of uh, how this place would function without your dad, because as a result of him, you and your family have made such a huge impact, and everyone here knows that a lot of what happens behind the scenes is a result of an extension of him. Uh, I'm going to have two conversations quickly, one on behalf of the temple uh, and some updates, and one I want to be uh, very clear that I'm not speaking on behalf of the temple. Uh, I think it's important to delineate those two things. So I'm going to start with the temple stuff and the announcements. Um, Some good stuff. Uh, First of all, I kind of feel like we need a standing ovation for Bikini's hair. I'm just, <laughs> I thought we might needed a moment of joy. I'm just so proud of your hair. It's just amazing. So if for anybody new, uh, uh, Vimala Judy, is that what I say now? 
Okay, Vimala Judy uh, was our former Bikwini here for many, many years, for those of you who don't know, and she recently disrobed, and her hair is growing back, and it's just like a miracle. So <laughs> it's like such a joy to walk in and see it. Uh, the little things. Uh, tomorrow at 3 p.m., uh, Vimala will be uh, having a virtual sutta study, which you can sign up for on Eventbrite. The Zoom link will be emailed to you an hour prior. On Monday, Vimala also hosts our Blue Lotus Book Club from 5.30 to 6.30. You can register on Eventbrite, access our links and calendar on the website, Zoom link, and then there's QR codes over there on the wall. Um, we have our second annual international fundraising feast. Rebecca, are you here somewhere? Do you want to just say about that for a minute? Would you mind? How many of you guys have been in one of the dinner last year? Raise your hand if you want. So we do it kind of like topic style, small plates, so you get a chance to to get international food from you know all the different Sangha members, their their beloved family recipes that they're kind enough to make for us. And then this year we're doing something really exciting. We're kind of combining the virtual experience of the mindful mission, where we had a rally on site where you could look at the raffle prizes and purchase entries. We're going to do that for the first time with a live event. So that means that people can buy raffle entries ahead of time, they can see what's going to be on raffle before they decide to, to go or not, and then you don't have to be present to win prizes as well. So it's going to be really exciting. And I think we are, I don't know if this is on your list somewhere, but we're looking for generous donations. So if anyone has a service, items, experiences, cash, whatever you'd like to donate to us so that we can make sure we have fabulous raffle prizes, Thank you. That's awesome. We've not uh, missed a few of our fundraisers over the last few years, uh, and so this is a wonderful time for us to come back together, really enjoy the Sangha, and uh, get us some support that we put to really good use. Um, I want to talk about Roe versus Wade. And when I say I, I'm talking about I as Tyler, not I as president. Be very clear about the distinction. And uh, I understand the sensitivity of what I want to say. And so I would invite uh, or request forgiveness of where anything I say maybe was less than thoughtful or where I have a lack of awareness around my words, asking for forgiveness in advance about that. Um, but when moments like this happen in our country, uh, if we can depoliticize it and uh, increase our practice around it, uh, I, th I think that that's a pretty uh, important thing. And uh, Bante wrote me and said, Roe versus Wade, uh, give the people something, do it now. That was the, the only text I got. <laughs> and so um, I, I decided to write something because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to go on and on about my own feelings. I just want to share what I wrote and leave it at that. I was mowing these amazing paths out in our land and got a pinch in my neck from dodging the most beautiful wildflowers. They hold a color blue I've never seen before. I swerved and plotted my course and got caught up in the beauty of things while trying to digest the news of today. The raw earth and its pleasures create a magnificent place for me to think. I had lots of feelings. I watched them come and go and swerve around like gnats. Slowly they settled and I began to realize, I have been acting so foolishly for so long. I say what I don't know, and I know what I don't say. I get lost in the past and the future and the untruths of this world more than I care to admit. 
I get triggered by illusions and live too passively when sometimes real engaged action is needed. Some of us are so happy today, celebrating what we perceive as a long-fought victory for something we think we believe in. Some of us are devastated today, believing we lost something that feels absolutely foundational to our rights. Some of us are wearing shirts today that say, I stand for Roe, and others are wearing shirts, I overturned Roe. I believe the heartbreak today belongs to both sides. I believe the cold, nasty truth is a majority of us are being just as foolish as me. We keep talking, but we don't even know what we're talking about. Let's just be brave and tell the truth. Many of us have never even read Roe v. Wade. Most of us follow headlines and never click to read the article or identify the source of what we're reading, yet we talk about it and quote it with steadfast conviction, conviction and authority and pass it around the world in a nano-click. I do this too. In so many cases, the result of our actions cause harm, disdain, instability, and death. Yet we just keep sharing and clicking and not voting without any idea of the harm we've caused. Most of us are walking through the world blind, scanning the surface of things in 80 world scrolls. We evangelize and prophetize and stand for and against absolutely nothing. When we stand for nothing, really important things that really matter and really affect us get done without our awareness. Causes and reactions are happening all around us, but we've got our heads buried in tweets and screens and noise, and our hearts have become walled off from the truth. We've lost our hearts, our connections to one another, our ability to speak with grace and nobility to people we don't yet understand. We believe we're educated, but we don't educate. We consume 5,000 times more TikTok videos than we do the resumes and belief sets of those we vote for, if we even vote. Recently, one of the most watched YouTube videos in America was a woman in Russia trying to parallel park. I'll admit it was rather hilarious. <laughs> I just think it's time to tell the truth. For many of us, if you're happy today, you didn't win anything because really you didn't know anything. And if you're devastated today, same thing. You guys, it appears to me we are sound asleep in our own reality to the present moment. We don't read, we don't walk outside or play games with our kids or celebrate our victories or grieve our losses, losses anymore. We just run and swirl and dance around in a sea of distraction. And frankly, I think some of us make no real difference whatsoever. I'm heartbroken today, but don't assume it's about this case or what will likely now be overturned next. I am looking deep in the mirror and asking myself, how do I wake up? How do I stop allowing the consumer screen culture to blind me from my heart, from your heart? How do I love more, help more, serve more, give more, read more, learn more, and acknowledge I have so much I don't yet know ahead of me? How do I connect with your heart and set up ill-conceived, foolish, and harmful assumptions that seem to have become a modern GPS in this culture? Today, I pledge to keep my mind open, to seek to understand, to fight hard for what I know, and to stop and admit what I don't know. 
I'm going to let others hate me, blame me, defame me, and I'm going to send them loving kindness anyway, knowing I've been them and likely we're all just a, such a great, big, beautiful mess. I think we could all be winners today if we stop, slow down, pay attention, reclaim our innate ability to truly and fully just love one another and be present. And as Ram Das always invited us, each other home. Today, my pledge to do all I can to help overturn our modern approach to living mindlessly and come together, reintegrate learning and discernment and understanding so we can chart a course that honors our differences and connects us at our root. How I'm going to do that is ask and answer four questions to myself over and over again. Number one, what am I doing I know I shouldn't be doing? What am I not doing I know I should be doing. What molehill am I turning into a mountain that's distracting me from the present moment? And what am I going to do about it? Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much, Tyler. And uh, do you have any new people for today? Any new ones, please say your name. We want to welcome. Okay. Sounds like no new ones. And thanks so much for coming. Have a beautiful day. And also, if you would like to get some Sri Lankan food, still we have some. And you can get at the book. Okay. Thanks so much.